Hello and welcome. You are listening to a new podcast from VJ Oncology. We are an open access multimedia channel that provides you with cutting edge updates in oncology research. Today's podcast will focus on living with and beyond cancer and features highlights from the NCRI 2018 meeting. Our experts provide an insightful look into the key issues affecting the quality of life of patients with cancer and the new efforts that are improving cancer survivorship. First to speak is Galina Velikova of the University of Leeds who stresses the need to outline the top 10 research priorities that have been set by the NCRI's Living With and Beyond Cancer initiative in partnership with the James Lind Alliance. Living With and Beyond Cancer initiative has started actually quite a few years back but the reason for the session today was that NCRI launched a priority setting partnership with James Lind Alliance to engage public patients, survivors and professionals in setting the top 10 research priorities. And it's important because this is a huge area uh, in terms of uh, problems that survivors experience. It's important because the number of cancer survivors is growing. We have 2.5 million estimated today and we expect up to 4 million in 2030. And the areas that are problematic for these patients are very diverse. So it's quite diff some of them are purely biological. What are the reasons for experiencing immediate toxicity, late toxicities? But some of them are really about finding a job, going back to new normality, getting insurance. So it's really a very diverse area. So it was very important to actually engage the public in setting those 10 priorities. As the number of patients that survive cancer continues to grow, the challenge of how to safeguard the long-term well-being of patients arises. Here, Andrew Bottomley of the European Organisation for Research and Treatment of Cancer tells us about the growing emphasis on survivorship and bringing the views of patients with cancer to light in order to help direct cancer research. I think traditionally the patients were not involved in setting the research agenda. For the last five years, it's very, very common for patients to be on protocol review teams, to review informed consent forms and ethics forms. And for example, at the UITC, they're involved in all of our survivorship meetings, all of our conference uh, for clinical trials. So I think the patient's view is something that, again, was underassessed uh, 10 years ago, but now is echoed throughout all of the events, and, and quite rightly so. And there are large societies set up, for example, the European uh, Coalition of Cancer Patients in, in Belgium, but in fact it's just based in Belgium, in Brussels, but it's a consortium of more than 400 societies of cancer societies, and they're collectively uh, centred in Brussels, and they represent the views of these 400 cancer societies or patient groups. So that's really getting the voice of the cancer patient across Europe, and many times with the parliamentarians. I think meetings like this are critical. I think you're putting survivorship in the mainstream of cancer research. Um, so I think national meetings like this and international meetings are critical. And again, I think again five years ago, uh, survivorship issues were really sort of in the sidelines of the conferences. But right now you can see at this conference is going to be centre stage in the programme and the views of cancer patients and survivors are going to be centre stage. Adrian Edwards from the University of Cardiff explores the challenges of making cancer treatment decisions, stressing the importance of incorporating patients into the decision-making process in order to combat these challenges. 
Yeah, well, it's complicated treatments, I guess that's the, the reality of it. And they're complicated in a number of dimensions. I mean, first, of course, is the impact of it. But secondly, there are a, a number of extra factors, like the time scale at which these things affect patients and the impact that they will have on them and their families. So some of them are obviously immediate and uh, very tough processes to go through but some may be quite delayed and more subtle or maybe less, less common as well. And uh, so there's a lot of different factors that need to be considered when thinking about a decision about cancer treatment. There are definitely challenges in, in outlining the different options and the consequences of them, both benefits and harms, and also exploring people's reactions to it and, and who else is to be involved in the decision. Obviously, there's patients and families, and sometimes also a range of clinicians uh, connected with the care of the patient as well. So it's quite a complicated decision-making mix. But I think the, the first thing that can be done to, to, to support that decision issue, the, the challenges there, is about it encouraging all parties to want to share those decisions together. I think sometimes there's an assumption that actually you know, there is a preferred treatment and that's all there is to it. Whereas actually, usually, I think there are options around these treatment choices. Um, so it's partly about encouraging clinicians to present those options and to explore what do patients feel about it, what actually is important to them in considering which choice to make. And it's also a lot to do with encouraging patients to come into that decision situation because I think a lot of patients often don't feel that they actually have an expertise to contribute to that situation, whereas clearly they do. Clinicians have expertise in the treatments and the evidence and the outcomes and clinical experience, but patients have ex uh, expertise also in you know, their situation, their preferences, their opinions, what matters most to them and their family views and preferences as well and it's bringing those two sets of expertise together which is actually the, the challenge and hopefully what's things that we can actually support nowadays. Quality of life is very important. It, it's a, it comes back to that same issue, what's important to patients. And clearly in the urgent situation about making a cancer treatment choice, uh, the, the major issue is going to be about maximizing chances of survival. But then there may also be further considerations further down the line, including quality of life particularly, and any particular uh, effects of treatments on particular symptoms, whether it's you know, radiotherapy in the, in the pelvis or um, uh, long-term effects of chemotherapy. Uh, there are various things that need to be considered uh, alongside those survival pros and cons of treatment choices at the beginning. As the number of patients that survive cancer continue to increase, the challenge of how to ensure the long-term well-being of patients arises. Here, Diana Greenfield from Sheffield Teaching Hospitals NHS Foundation Trust stresses the need for implementing different models of care in order to meet this challenge. We are considering, and there's going to be some talks in other sessions about how the cancer plan is making progress, of how we look after our increasing number of cancer survivors long-term. Uh, we can't carry on uh, looking after them in the same way as we do now. So we need to think very carefully about different models of care. That is going to change the culture of care, considering things such as stratified follow-up, uh, earlier discharge, shared care with GPs, and increasing the role of clinical nurse specialists and other healthcare professionals. So nurses are going to have an increasing role in looking after uh, long-term cancer survivors and probably more responsibility. 
So we need to think about upskilling them and we've been working on a uh, workforce uh, toolkit to consider and competence framework to consider what skills they need to do that. Now, mainly nurses in oncology tend to be focused on diagnosis and treatment and in the early phases, but we've got to increasingly start thinking about getting patients better and optimising their health and wellbeing. And this is something that we're going to be de developing more and more over the next few years. So we are aware that our being disease-free is the ultimate goal, but it doesn't necessarily equate to living well. So what we are increasingly wanting to do is uh, deliver patient-centred care, considered who may do that, who the best person to do it, when we might do it, and that's really asking patients and working with them what concerns them and what can we do to help. And uh, there would be some multidisciplinary responsibility, uh, that includes the doctors as well as the nurses and other healthcare professionals and many other agents besides and, and patient charities. Uh, but First of all, it's about finding the time to ask the question, and that's really the critical challenge within oncology care at the moment. So one of the most exciting sessions beyond our reality of treatment consequences is going to be the NCRI Spotlight session, where we are going to be launching the top 10 tips for uh, research in living with and beyond cancer. So um, I've been part of, been fortunate to be one of, one of two nurses on the steering group working with patients uh, and the NCRI team uh, to identify the top 10 research priorities and they're going to be launched on Tuesday morning and we're very excited about that because this is an area where it has been very poorly funded over the years and so we're hoping that these research priorities working with our partners uh, and the key research charities and, ca and research councils will start commissioning this research. This is research that um, issues that really matters to patients who want more evidence about the things that concern them and how we may best look after and support patients with those problems. With treatments improving the outlook for patients, there is a need for further improvements in patient support following discharge. We spoke to Gemma Pierce from Coventry University who introduces the Help to Overcome Problems Effectively or otherwise known as HOPE programme, a promising incentive aiming to promote positive actions for patients with cancer in order to improve their quality of life. A lot of what happens is when people are discharged from treatment, um, they feel that they um, often um, have a fear of recurrence of the cancer happening. Um, they, there's often like a negative spiral into things like anxiety and depression, um, and there's a need for patients um, and their carers actually to be supported after the discharge and to live well um, and pass their cancer. So the HOPE programme, which stands for Help to Overcome Problems Effectively, was originally um, developed as an evidence-based um, uh, programme and it was co-created with Macmillan Cancer Support and um, patients and their carers to try and address some of these unmet needs. Um, and um, the idea behind it was to, to, rather than that negative spiral, to try and um, increase that positive spiral using um, things like goal setting, mindfulness, gratitude, hope um, and, and things like that, components like that. And also behavioural elements like physical activity, um, nutrition and things like that, improving that side of things and coping. Improving patients' quality of life is a really important aspect because without that, um, you can help to treat and improve um, patients through their, their treatment and through um, the therapies that they're going through. But then after that, without the improving quality of life, they're living beyond the cancer treatment for many, many years now um, in some respects. And 
and it's about trying to not just improve the quantity and extension of their life but the quality of the life that they're living and reducing their anxiety and depression and, and meaning that they can communicate well with their families and their healthcare professionals and also to, to cope more and um, live as someone that has had cancer or is living with cancer continuously and, and that's something that needs and the acceptance and the ability to cope with it. Implementing the HOPE programme has been a process over the last seven years. Currently um, it's been a face-to-face six-week course and um, that's often to, to patients and there is a shorter course that's also often offered to carers. Um, it's implemented um, across the board, it's uh, licensed and delivered by Macmillan. Macmillan also train um, facilitators who can be healthcare professionals and patients or carers to deliver the course. But one of the issues that we've had is that um, it's not consistently delivered, so there's a bit of a postcode lottery going on and obviously we want to try and reduce these inequalities and improve the implementation across the country. So um, we've had a, a few, um, we've talked to a range of regions um, about where they're having challenges and how they've overcome them and some of the successes that they've had. To conclude our podcast on cancer survivorship, we have our final talk from Bernard Rashi of the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. Professor Rashi stresses the need to reduce the current inequalities in cancer survivorship and care, especially in the socio-economically deprived areas, before discussing the measures, next steps and resources required to counteract this long-standing problem. What uh, we have tried to, uh, to do, uh, and we are not the only one, uh, there are many uh, research projects and even uh, interventions where the patients are from, even from uh, what we call uh, hard to reach population, then uh, people who are from low education level, low socioeconomic uh, uh, level, who uh, are involved in such uh, uh, intervention or research. But uh, again, we would need more, for, for example, resources uh, in primary care and secondary care. We, everyone is telling that uh, the system is cracking everywhere. Then we need to, uh, uh, to uh, inject more resources. Well, probably uh, more staff in primary care, that's sure. But also we know that we don't have enough uh, uh, MI uh, or uh, PET scan, CT scan, uh, you know, compared to most uh, um, wealthy countries, uh, we, we have uh, many uh, less uh, resources. Uh, and not only on imaging uh, machines or colonoscopists, etc., but also in staff. Uh, everyone know, uh, knows that. We, uh, it's not new. In hospitals, there's not enough nurses, there's not a, enough uh, specialized uh, surgeons, etc. As a researcher, I think we, um, we probably need to be more proactive and uh, to measure uh, the resources uh, which would need, which would be required uh, to achieve, uh, to reduce the inequalities in, in cancer care and cancer survival. I think we have not been uh, very good in uh, promoting this message. Uh, we have demonstrated that uh, the individual factors uh, don't explain a lot in inequalities, but we haven't uh, uh, explained that actually we need, uh, or we haven't explained how much we need in terms of resources to really reduce these inequalities. And I think we need to make some effort in, in that. 
Thank you for tuning in to our latest podcast. All of us here at VEJ Oncology are very much looking forward to the upcoming progress in cancer survivorship. To be the first to hear about the latest on the topic, follow us on Twitter at VJ Oncology. Visit VJOncology.com for the latest updates from international meetings like NCRI, ASCO and ESMO. Until next time. <laughs>